Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Kevin Blackwell to my Neil Warnock. It's just in peach. That's that's quite sincere. Good day to you, Ryan, by the way, but that's quite a sincere message. I, I, I like that one. Okay, good. What well, is it not as bad as my other ones? I think the other ones are usually used for a bit of criticism or a bit of a, a, a bit of a slide dig into the side, but this one I quite like. Thank you. you can interpret means a lot. as much as you want, Justin. <laughs> On the show today, we have Carlo van der Watering again from the Barnsley Podcast Red Report. Carlo, you're all right? Afternoon, how are we doing? Yeah, I feel like you should introduce me like you introduced Justin now. I'll let you think about that, maybe do it later on. <laughs> Who else is part of Neil Warnock's team? I can't even think. Ronnie Jepsen. Ronnie Jepsen. The Ronnie Jepsen to my Neil Warnock is Carlo <laughs> van der Watering. I'll take it. <laughs> Also, here's Patch Warner from the Bristol City Podcast, Three Peeps in a Podcast. Patch, I don't know any more of Neil Warner. No, I feel a bit left out. I feel a bit (laughs) left out of this, but um, it's all right. I'll let you get away with it because your enthusiasm with which you started the podcast. um, I did our podcast this morning and I didn't, I wasn't able to produce such enthusiasm. So uh, fair play to you. What can I say? Uh, Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Another week in the championship, another two managers sacked. Of course, Marcus Sharp gone from Barnsley. We'll talk about that with Carlo very shortly. And now Neil Warnock's days are done at Middlesbrough. He's been replaced with Chris Wilder. We'll talk to Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast shortly. And of course, we'll have a little chinwag about it too, Justin. As well as that, we'll discuss all the games from the past weekend, look back on some of the news from the past few days, and then finish off with a game of Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. We'll begin with a massive game at the bottom of the table. Barnsley v Hull, two of the worst teams in the Championship so far. But it was Hull who ran out the 2-0 winners. Uh, Carlo, tell us about the game. Shocking, mate. Um, Joseph Lauman, second game in charge. First one, obviously, midweek. Um, and I feel obliged to say against Wayne Rooney's derby, because nobody says derby, it's Wayne Rooney's derby. Um, we won that one. And I suppose it was brief hope that maybe it was uh, Marcus Shupp's ideas and identity that he wanted to bring over. Um, and from the uh, initial team selection to the substitutions, it just, it, it, it was, my Shop's never left. Um, really questionable uh, starting lineup with some players, some that had done really well, um, sort of dropped. Uh, players that were performing well in the first half taken off at half time, and and it it's for a lot of Barnsley fans there is now a thought process of 
how, how much freedom has this, well, whichever head coach we have, how much freedom has he actually got in team selection or is, is the other, other powers higher up maybe? Um, I wouldn't say meddling, but, you know, maybe saying that certain players need to play whether they are, you know, our own academy recruits or because it's just um, a, a team that I, I believe only scored away on the first day of the season. I know they won it against Preston Hull, but they've really, really struggled to score away from home. Two uh, nil. <laughs> There's not much more you can say. It was um, it was dire, and I don't mean Bruce. It was just dire. Yeah. So it um, somebody needs to come in, um, and I just hope that maybe we veer away from this sort of continental search in the second and third league of Austria to find a hidden gem. Um, it's my firm opinion that only Ishmael has shown that he that worked. But of all the other ones, I think you can potentially say, is it working though? Stendhal did really well. Mm, we were in League One though. Struber kept us up, thanks to Wigan's point deduction. So I, I don't know. I don't know if if the recruitment philosophy they've got, if that's actually sort of bearing fruits, apart obviously from Ismail, who's shown that he, he is a, a decent sort of championship head coach. So yeah, it, it's all a bit gloom really. It's interesting what you were saying about Lauman because I put exactly the same as what you were just saying there in my notes that it's it was basically kind of like shop from this game, Monty. It was really, really yeah. poor. Um, he's one of the favourites to get the job, but I guess from what you're saying, you'd be very disappointed if he did get the job. Um, I think for a lot of people, it'll feel like the cheap option because obviously he's employed by us already. Um, and I think what he's shown yesterday is actually, and that's not his fault because he was made interim head coach. I think you need somebody with a bit of experience and 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 ideally championship experience, but if not, at least as, as a head coach, because some of the decisions, uh, he didn't explain them. Devante Cole is stop, start, stop, start. Um I know he didn't get a goal, but he played really well first half. Any dangerous sort of positional play from Barnsley came to Devante Cole, and then he was taken off. And he was replaced by Victor Adebayejo, and that's nothing against Victor, but he's a completely different player. And and any sharpness we had up front just disappeared. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was really, really... I think fans were really, really disappointed because you're on a high when you finally win a match and, you know, the head coach is gone. And then his replacement is sort of carried on in the same vein. Last time you were on, you said that the club was rotten to the core. So how confident are you that Barnsley are actually going to get the right appointment? Yeah, I, I had many discussions about this. People tweeting this me and everything. I think from like a board level CEO onto the onto the playing pitch, um, if if we're going to stick to this philosophy, then if you're working with stats, there has to be an evaluation, doesn't it? If if you're purely basing your recruitment around stats, there has to be an evaluation. And I just wonder what a successful season means to Barnsley FC. A lot of fans, and, and I was one of them, I thought last season was amazing. I mean, come on, playoffs, nobody expected Barnsley to get to play. To me, that was that was very, very successful. Uh, the new CEO sort of come out saying it's successful on the pitch, but not off the pitch because no players were sold. There were no concrete bits for players, which I thought there would have been, but obviously there weren't. And, and that made me then think maybe it's that system we play, but other clubs think, well, that doesn't really fit in our system. So I... I if you're going to evaluate it and see how successful we've been, and if you therefore detract that, yeah, this is this is the right way for Barnsley, by all means, go ahead. I think as fans were saying, besides Valerian Ismail, I don't think. So I yeah, my guess is um the 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 chairman of the co-chairman left yesterday. 
during the second half. I think it's seen enough. Um, I hope he was travelling down where up the M1 or down the M1 to interview somebody and 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 not a whiz air flight from Doncaster to you know Austria or Germany to to, to find somebody else because it. I, I don't think it's it. I, I don't think that tactic is working. You have to say. Marcus Schupp was one of these appointments, and what what went well for him? Not nothing much, really. He 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 veered away from everything we did well last season, and I know it wasn't always pretty Barnsley last season, but as a fan, it don't matter. You win three one, and it might it might be hoofball as they call it, but it got us to fifth. I'd rather see that than him trying to impose a new identity and players thinking. I said it to you last time, didn't I, Ryan? You know, Callum Britton comes out and says we need more practice on the training pitch because we feel like we're playing off the cuff. Championship football, this nothing should be off the cuff. From the moment you walk onto that pitch, every sort of position or you know, in, in possession, out of possession, should be rehearsed, and players should know what they're going to do. So, um, I, th- I think it's worrying. And, and I have to say, when I say, you know, I have a really good relationship with the with with the club, the media department, everybody else. They're not wrong. They're still very, very nice lads that work very hard. But I think above that level, just questionable decisions. And I think as fans, we, we need an explanation of how the club see Barnsley FC moving forward, especially in the recruitment for a new head coach. Definitely. Yeah. Just in a quick word on Hull, obviously a massive result for them. They'd lost five games in a row heading into this and George Honeyman got the first goal and then set up the second, no matter who's in charge as the season goes on for the Tigers. I think he's going to be really important to their chances of staying up. I'd argue he's probably going to be their most important player, actually. Would you agree? I, I would, yeah. He's, he's got the legs. He's got the know-how. He's, he's surprisingly good with his feet as well. And um, he, he fits nicely into that four-two-three-one that McCann seems to persist with um, as that number 10. The late runs into the box, it really does help. But the likes of Smallwood and Doherty as well, really important experience players, especially Smallwood at championship level. So getting those getting those three together and fit and playing um, consistently um, is, yeah, as you say, is, is key to their season. 100%. At the Coventry Building Society Arena, a 92nd minute winner from Matt Godden saw Coventry beat Bristol City 3-1. That's despite Sky Blues being down to 10 men for half the game after Ian Martin was sent off. Patch, two penalties, a red card, loads of chances and a last-minute winner. Great entertainment for the neutral, but from a Bristol City fan, I expect it was a bit annoying. No. Um, the last few, <laughs> frankly, the last three weeks, uh, we've had three trips to the Midlands. We've conceded nine goals, scored two, lost every game. Um, so West Brom and then Birmingham and now Coventry. And, you know, West Brom, we kind of expected it. Birmingham, we thought we'd be more in the game. And equally with Coventry, obviously, they're doing really well. But going down to, to 10 men and going 1-0 up, you would expect us to be winning that game. And in the second half, quite frankly, it looked as though we had 10 men and Coventry were the team with 11. Uh, really disappointing. Uh, the, the players at the start of the season, we've got uh, a new um, fitness person in, head of, head of fitness, head, of, uh, head of, of the medical department. And the claim was that they were fitter than ever before. And they certainly looked it in the early, early goings uh, with picking up some really good performances, picking up some really good wins away from home. Home form was still a struggle until Barnsley came along, but uh, sorry for that, Carlo. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they don't seem to be able to, to, to manage a whole 94, 95 minutes and three or four times this season, we've lost the game in the very last few minutes of, of the game. So it's been a really frustrating. It's, it's quite, 
it's quite a depressing one for us as Bristol City fans because, you know, Nigel Pearson came in towards the last sort of third of the season last season, um, picked up a couple of wins and then went on a losing streak. But we were under the understanding that he needed transfer window. He needed time with the players to get some of his own players in, get rid of some of the old players. Um, but this season, it's been, again, disappointing. So it's it's a frustrating time. And and I've I've been someone who's who's really been annoyed when the international breaks come along. But I'm actually quite ready for it on this occasion because I could do with two weeks to, uh, to just relax a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you only have to look at the Bristol City Twitter to see what the fans... Think of that result. Many want Pearson gone and those who were in support of him seem to have now turned on him. How are you feeling, Patch? Uh, so I'm, I'm still very much um, on the fence, as I, as I often am as a podcast host. <laughs> um, but I think we were ex- expectant of um, survival this season and re-establishing ourselves, re-establishing ourselves as a as a championship um side after finishing poorly last season uh and he needs another transfer window for me to to get a few more players in not that there's a lot of money around at the moment but um i i think there's a bit of an issue at the moment and we don't quite know what the situation is but nigel pearson's had covid twice he he was not at the game yesterday and wasn't feeling great at the Birmingham game on Tuesday. So they've said that he didn't travel due to um, health problems. We don't know what that is. And obviously, uh, get well soon, Nigel. Obviously, that comes first before football. But we don't know what the situation is there. It, if it's something that's going to be something that goes on, who knows what, this, who knows what will happen. However, uh, it's... it's uh, We've got to get behind him, get behind the club, get behind the fact that they said this is going to be a three-year plan. Um, but we still need to start picking up some points. Otherwise, we will be dragged dragged into the relegation zone. We were seven points clear, I think, of, of Hull at the moment. Um, but yeah, we certainly need to start picking up some points uh, at home and away. Hmm. Points are usually very helpful. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, who would you go for then? Because um, obviously plenty of Bristol City fans calling for him to go. What are many fans actually saying they want to see instead of Nigel Pearson? Well, uh, in the last sort of 24 hours, you've seen Neil Warnock's name be mentioned. You've seen Dean Smith's name be mentioned and and uh, Daniel Farker <laughs> As, as they've literally been sacked in the last 24 hours. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, before Nigel Pearson was, uh, was was given the role, you were looking at people like Michael Appleton, uh, Ryan Lowe, um, uh, amongst others. And uh, you know, the chap who's taken over at Ipswich, Paul, um, help me out. Paul okay. Cook. That's the one. So they were guys, they were three or four people there that, uh, that people thought... You know, we're we're in the running as well. Mark Robbins was a name, another name mentioned. Ex Bristol City came to us on loan um, back in the early two thousands, I think. Uh, so he, he he's clearly doing really well at Coventry. So there's lots of names going flying around, but I think we need to focus on Nigel Pearson at the moment and uh, just see where we go with that in the next month or two. Yeah. Justin, you got a bit of a hiding from Coventry fans in midweek after you said the loss to Swansea could be the start of them sliding down the table. I don't think we're particularly any wiser after this result because Mm. Bristol City, no offence, Patch, aren't particularly great at the moment. Do you still think a slide is on its way despite this result? 
It's it's a difficult one to predict. I I base that on a dip in the three performances that over the last three weeks uh, from Coventry's perspective and, and key performers dropping off. But in this game, those key performers stepped up. They had the likes of uh, Giacres getting involved. He he won the penalty for the first goal. Kai Maher got his first goal of the season. He's had the most shots at goal uh, and not scored. So it's good to see him get off the score sheet. Liam Kelly, Liam Kelly came on and had a massive impact with that pass through to Matt Godden as well. So they've got key players coming in and, and impacting. So it's, it's really hard to say whether or not they're going to start to slide down the table. It's not going to be an instant slide. They're not going to be deducted 10 points, but we saw it with Reading last season. I think they're in a similar um, a similar sort of uh, aspect to them where they've got a, a thin squad with quality players, but they lose one or two of those and it's going to impact performances and results. And this game kind of showed that. They, they allowed Bristol City into it. Um, I know they were down to 10 men, but they showed some naivety at times. I like Coventry, don't get me wrong, but... We're just observing. That's all we're doing. I'm going to make that point. That's not what you're saying off camera. Uh, <laughs> Pash, thank you for now. We'll return to you both later to play Simon Grace and Tate for late. But now it's time for me and Justin to go around the grounds. We shall begin with the end of Neil Warnock at Middlesbrough and the start of the Chris Wilder era. Warnock's last game came away at West Brom where it finished 1-0. Joining us now is Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Johnny, we should probably quickly chat about the game, first of all. How was that? I thought yesterday was a really, really poor game with West Brom. I thought both teams lacked quality on the ball, poor decision-making, and it became really scrappy. On, on, the, on the plus side for Millsbrett, I thought Josh Coburn, who led the line, uh, the academy graduate, 18-year-old, scored his second goal in the week and led the line really, really well. On the flip side for West Brom, I thought they were really poor. Um, like I mentioned, clunky with the ball, poor decision-making. Although they had 70% possession, they did absolutely nothing with it. And Borough could have won it at the end uh, with their second shot on target, one being the goal, and then Sparaz had it right at the end. So I think a draw was a fair result. Yeah, well, that news was obviously followed by the news that Neil Warnock has left Middlesbrough. Um, considering what you've been saying recently, Johnny, I am going to assume that you're pretty happy with that. I do. I think it was a, a good a, a good decision for Middlesbrough. Um, on one side, look, Neil Warnock did a great job at Borough. It secured and stabilised the club when we needed it to be. Um, I think Borough fans will be really thankful for that, but... As we've mentioned on previous podcasts, the club is going in a completely different direction. It needs the change. And we've went and hired former Sheffield United manager Chris Wilder to take over. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant appointment. I know I said on your podcast I wanted Alex Neal as well. But I tell you what, Chris Wilder is a very, very good fit as well. Yeah, just going back to what you were saying about Warnock. Because I think he's done exactly what was asked for him, Ante. Um, taking the club from... The, the disastrous Woodgate era um, to where they are now. And he's done a good job, Anthony. What would you th- say his legacy will be at the Riverside Stadium? Um, I, th- I think Warnock's legacy is, I think he's always going to be respected in the area. I don't think fans despised him. I think what fans wanted and understood that he was coming to the end of his contract and made no real business sense for Borough to keep him in charge anyway. And given his record at the top level, it's not particularly great either. Um, so it, it didn't make sense for Borough to, to make the decision. I think with with Neil Warnock, that first season saving us, the horny for Warney hashtag as well, fans were really, really happy with him. And to be honest, I think he goes with good wishes from Borough fans. There's no negativity. And I think he's stabilised the club from free fall 
and he's gave Chris Wilder a platform to really build on. And hopefully, if three or four more players come in, we might potentially see a promotion push this season or maybe next. Yeah, well, that brings me on to my final question, Johnny. Um, how excited are you for the future under Chris Wilder? Because as everyone knows, he's got a fantastic record at pretty much every club he's been at. Oh, mate, yeah, it's it's a, it's a stellar appointment, isn't it? Um, bringing Wilder in is a very, very safe, but very progressive appointment. It's an appointment that will get results. It's an appointment that will get the fans on side very early. It's progressive football. It's good to watch. And of course, he's done it everywhere he's been. Uh, be typical Borough for him to fail now. Now we've said that, but you know, Borough three or four players short from being a top side in the division. We need to bring those players in, bed them in early, and then hopefully we can try and make a run for it towards the end of the season. But it looks unlikely maybe this year, but this this season and this league is just crazy. A few results can take from 6th to 15th like we've got in a week. Um, but yeah, really, really solid appointment. Really happy with it. Very progressive, a safe appointment too. And I think Borough are in very, very good hands for the future. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, Justin, I think the news came as a surprise, but actually also not much of a surprise, if you know what I mean. It's been the worst kept secret in football. I think Neil Warnock's even been alluded to it in his post-match presses here. Um, Fans have been saying it. I think we've been saying it for a couple of weeks that just doesn't quite work. The relationship, new head of recruitment, new relationship and, um, you know, possibly going at the end of the season and whatnot. It just made sense for, for everybody. I'm a bit sad because Warnock's been, not been able to see out the season, but I think I said it in midweek or last week that he's got another job in this season, 100%. Um, and he, he, he will certainly, he will turn up somewhere and, and, and guide them out of relegation trouble, whoever that may be, whoever that team might be. Um, but as you say, it was, it's been coming and it needed to happen sooner rather than later. So this Borough side can, can reach its potential. Do you think he has got another job in it now? I think that might be it for him now. It just, I mean, I was almost, no, I wasn't. I was going to say, I was almost tearing up watching his, um, his, his post-match presser and um, him explaining the whole situation. But I don't think he's that sort of person. Just leave it there. Um, he'll want to see out the season. His intention was to see out the season with Borough. Um, and there are certainly a lot of sides in and around there who, could use his help, could use his expertise. And it might not be a job in management. It might be a job upstairs somewhere, uh, guiding a, a younger manager. God knows there are quite a few around at the moment that that need that sort of help. Um, so, yeah, it would be a surprise if he doesn't turn up somewhere. I think I, I heard a stat that he's, had, he's only had three Christmas days off in his whole career. Um, or I say he's not been employed uh, out of three Christmas days. So he's not going to make it a fourth, is he? Surely. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm speaking like I know Neil Warnock personally. I, I'm not. Um, but it's. It's just surely not in his. In his mindset to. To leave it out. No, Barbara's used to having uh, <laughs> Neil Warnock out at the training ground on Christmas Day, and he. You don't want. She. You don't want him. You know, sat around at home watching the Queen's speech. He's, <laughs> he's just not in his. Uh, not in his nature. Um, but I think you're quite right in saying um, this was coming because. Wilder was, you know, he's been appointed less than 24 hours after. So I'm guessing Warnock was, you know, all aboard what was actually going on and was quite aware that he Mm. wasn't going to be the long-term option. Um, But looking back at what Warnock has actually done, I think the job he's actually done has been quite good because Middlesbrough were in a bit of a state, weren't they, when he took over um, that disastrous spell under Jonathan Mudgate. They were languishing around the relegation zone with an unbalanced, thin squad. 
and it had players in it who were earning too much for what they were actually contributing to the team. So mm -hmm. I think Warnock has taken them back into a stable mid-table side and he has essentially been a transition manager. Yeah. And as far as transition managers go, he's done the top job, hasn't he? And he set up Chris Wilder perfectly for what he can do now in the future. Yeah, he's passed the torch on quite nicely. As you say, they were a state under Woodgate. They overspent under Gary Monk and Tony Pulis. I think the amount of money to spend on Aidan Flint alone makes you wince because of how poor he was at Borough and subsequently left after a season. That just goes to show just how much of a state they were in. The likes of um, Dyke Steele and Mark Bowler um, didn't look like championship players. Now they look like very good championship players they would get into a lot of sides in championship and Neil Warnock's that sort of person look at what he's done for Duncan Watmore in last year for example mm. he's a very very good manager and as you say he definitely left Borough in a better place than when he found him they were going to go down under Woodgate I'm fairly confident in that um, so for him to come in stabilise them make them a, a, a very good outfit again um, ready for Chris Wilder to take on is a good place for, for, for Warnock and Borough spot on there had to be a change, I think, because Borough weren't going anywhere fast. And it's it's kind of like the whole club was <clears throat> set up to go forwards into the future, mm. except for the manager. But a new boss now means they can still have a crack at achieving something this season. And it also gives that new man chance to work with the team and get across his ideas. And they'll be in a very good position to accomplish something very good next season, if they don't get promoted this season, that is, which I think would be unlikely, to be fair, but... Nonetheless, with Chris Wilder in charge, he's a very good manager, isn't he? But let's talk mm. about him now, Justin. He's the new man. Um, thoughts on that appointment? It's a very good appointment. Um, I think if he goes into any championship job, I'm surprised that there weren't many more Premier League clubs maybe having a look at Chris Wilder. I think he was unfortunate at Sheffield United that there was a lot of friction um, between him and the the, the upstairs team, um, the ownership. So that didn't really help matters at all. And obviously the recruitment in the second season for, for Wilder, um, it didn't it didn't work out for them at all, which is ultimately why they went down. I don't think if, if, if things would have gone slightly better, he'd still be at Sheffield United now. Um, but for Borough, they get a very good manager. They get a good manager. They, or sorry, they get a manager who has improved every side he's managed. Um, let's be honest, every team he's taken over. Yeah, I think I'll go back to that Northampton job where they were financially ruined but he managed to get them promoted um when they're in league two so he he leaves teams again a bit like warnock he leaves teams in a better state than when he found them but in a better way and is a younger manager and he plays a very good style of play as well so i'm really looking forward to what he can get out of this borough side it's it's going to be an exciting um well enter the season i think for for borough and their supporters yeah absolutely for me wilder is the best option possible for pretty much any championship club looking for a manager because he's, he, the man's record speaks for itself, doesn't it? Every single club he's been at, he's been a success. In fact, nearly every single season in his managerial, managerial career has been a success. The man is a genius and his reputation was unfortunately tarnished by that disaster of a final season at Sheffield United. And I think that's the main reason why many Premier League clubs weren't looking at him because before that, there's nothing you could really hold against him apart from that so um <laughs> you, you have got to remember that he did get them Sheffield United to ninth in the Premier League the season before which is completely forgotten about because of mm. how that last season went but he plays brilliant football a tactical innovator and is the perfect man to lead a club like Middlesbrough into a new era and Borough have now got the core of a promotion winning squad available to them all they've got to do for me is add in three or four new players over the summer 
then I think it'll be a side capable of winning promotion for sure. Um, let's move on, Justin, to Middlesbrough's actual game this weekend, a one-all draw away at West Brom. And the reality is this was a really poor result for the Baggies once it, and Borough nearly run it right at the death. Yeah, pretty pretty lackluster performance. I think these these games have sort of not, not necessarily been coming, but they've been ticking over for West Brom where they're going to come up against a team where they're not going to be able to keep out. Um, and and Borough was at the side. I think it was Ishmael under Barnsley. I think they won the most games by one goal um, last season, which goes to show that they were they were grinding games out, but the only difference is between that West Brom side and uh, uh, and sorry, this West Brom side and that Barnsley side is I don't think this West Brom defence I think they can be got at. I think there are there are um, uh, elements to exploit, but I think the, the the key thing for them is getting the likes of not necessarily Colin Grant, but getting Dean Garner back into form, getting Matt Phillips in form, and, and getting Callum Robinson um, playing as, as consistent as he was earlier on in the season. Because if they can unlock the potential in that front three, I don't think there are many better front threes that have existed in the Championship. Because there's a goal scorer, there's there's creativity, there's there's all there's everything you need um, in that front three. It's just unlocking it at the same time that is proving the issue for Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Well, they had 71 possession, 71% possession, which is something I don't think I will ever say again this season for West Brom. But despite that, they barely created anything substantial, which when you've got the amount of you know talent going forwards for them, it's, it's very surprising, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but as you quite right, quite well, I mentioned, Grady Dean Garner hasn't been in great form this season, but he scored here, which will be a big boost for him. Only his second goal since the season before last. So... Hopefully, this is the start of him getting back to the player that we all love to watch. Fulham Mm -hmm. have scored 20 in their last five games. They've scored the most goals after 16 games out of every side in Championship history. They've got a striker who's got 19 goals from 16 games. And this weekend, they face Peterborough, the team with the worst defensive record in league and have conceded the most chances in the league too. Surely, this was going to be a rout. It finished Peterborough nil, Fulham one. A disaster for the second tier betting show. But I tell you what, Justin, Peterborough gave them one hell of a game, didn't they? Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with Peterborough. I think we got a little bit of stick from uh, from a couple of Peterborough fans in midweek for turning the attention of their midweek game to um, Danny Ward's hair and, and moustache. But there wasn't much to talk about in that game from Peterborough's perspective. But in this game, they were really, really good. They 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 maybe could have got a result. I think Fulham's quality showed Um but Posh have improved. The, the latest goal from Fulham to separate the sides, who were two leagues apart, is a very good marker for Peterborough this season. And they had chances. John, uh, Johnson Clark Harris had a had a one on one, which he spooned over the bar, which just goes to show that he's low on confidence at the minute. Yeah, the, the, this was a very good performance from Peterborough. And if they can get more out of this side like this, then I think they can be safe. Yeah, well, Clark Harris also had another one-on-one after terrible defending from Fulham. I have no idea what Tim Ream was doing for that, but he hit the post as well. Um, But I was quite pleased with how Clark Harris was playing because despite him not scoring, he was threatening. Mm -hmm. Well, as threatening as he has been this season because I was expecting him to score quite a few goals this season. Obviously, it hasn't happened so far. He hasn't played a few games for, you know, historical Twitter posts and what have you. But nonetheless, this was him looking like the player that, we were expecting to see, despite him not hitting the back of the net. But nonetheless, uh, Peterborough were really, really quite good. The defence were great too. It was just that one lapse in concentration that let them down. And Mm -hmm. you can't really do that when you've got someone as deadly as Alexander Mitrovic floating around in the box. But nonetheless, it's been an encouraging spell between the international breaks for Posh after managing to finally get some points on the board when 
prior to this most recent international break that's just gone, they were looking pretty horrible. Uh, but now looking all right. All right is as far as I'm going to go, really. But really good here. Um, by no means Fulham at their best. I think it was just an off day from them, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they ground it out and that's the making of a good side, which is something we'd always say. Um, not quite on it, but still come away with three points in a clean sheet. Is a, is a very good day and I think Fulham fans had a very good day out as well. They took quite a lot up to Peterborough, which is um, a big thing. I saw quite a few uh, cheese boards on the train, which I don't know if it was a joke or serious or not, but it was quite good. I also saw that. I, yeah. I'm not sure if it was a joke, um, but it got it got a lot of uh, traction yeah. from I'm all for it. Saying, really? A cheese board, yeah. Do you take a cheese? If someone brings a cheese board and hands out some cheese, I'll say... Well, as long as it's vegan, I'll say yes. Go on then. Um, mainly because I'm. Well, when you're going to an away match, though, it's not going to soak up any beer, but it's better than a match day burger. Let's be honest; they're not great. Cheese board's better. It depends where you go. So I'll tell you what: there's a really good Twitter account at the moment called Football Scran, and they um, they show like the best food you can get from different grounds. Okay. Like the other day, they had, um, I think it was Merthyr Town. Very random, but they had mm. a hollowed out cob or roll if you're not from the Midlands, um, and it had chips and a sausage in it, all covered in gravy. Looked amazing. Okay. Well, now uh, the last game I went to was at Pride Park. The only option you've got is a hot dog, <laughs> like yeah. hot dog or a pie. It's pathetic. Derby haven't got much money to be fat, and, but <laughs> I still I'd expect more. From yeah. you know what what was going on here? How have we completely gone off track here? Cheese boards? No, not for me. Um, <laughs> Bournemouth bounced back from their first loss of the season by beating Swansea four 0 I say beat. This was actually a bit of a hammering, wasn't it, Justin? Yeah, and it was a game where um, Bournemouth really exploited Swansea in a way where Swansea um, just sort of played into Bournemouth's hands a little bit. They 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 tried to. Um, tap it around but it didn't really get through to that final third which meant the likes of Pyro and Patterson didn't really receive the ball so they couldn't exploit Bournemouth but that's down to Bournemouth's um, tactical work off the ball they were brilliant um, really really were they pressed Flynn Downs quite a lot they pressed Ryan Bennett a lot who is out that back three probably the least comfortable person on the ball um, a really really good tactical win from Scott Park and um, they nullified Swansea in every capacity they, 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 they could it was really incisive I feel like you're not doing this game justice, Justin. <laughs> uh, this could have been 8 0. Honestly, it seriously could. The scoreline does not do this game justice. Um, Bournemouth missed three big chances and had a load more good chances. And I'd actually go as far to say it was probably the most one sided game of the season we've seen so far. And I'm saying that fully aware that Fulham won 7 0 in the week. This game was more one sided than that. I am not <laughs> shitting you. It was crazy. <laughs> um, after we were saying in the week that not playing a natural left-back was really costing Bournemouth, Scott Parker gave Leif Davis, who's on loan from Leeds, um, he gave him a go at left-back. And he was brilliant, wasn't he? He was, he was. He, um, well, it goes to show how much balance is important in, in certain sides. And um, I think him coming in into this into this Bournemouth defence really settled them. And going forward as well, he had an impact. Um, and it, also, it helps the likes of Jane Anthony, Ryan Christie, Whenever they swap wings, it helps it helps that balance as well because uh, you've got a gallivanting left wing back going forwards and creating space for that player. Whereas Chris Meppen, for example, might not be that adventurous going forwards. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be as effective as the likes of Zamora or Leif Davis. So it does help with balance. Obviously, not the, the, the pinnacle in the win here, but it's going to do Davis a world of good with his confidence after not getting inside. Mm. Well, every time Bournemouth had 
a substantial chance. It usually came down that left-hand side and Leif Davis was playing a really big part in it. So yeah, mm. I was really impressed by him. Someone we haven't really seen that much, have we? Because I don't think he's played much first-team football at Leeds. Um, and I thought he was just going to be a backup left-back here. But honestly, he was one of Bournemouth's best players uh, yesterday. So I'm very excited to see more of him. He definitely offers more width, doesn't he, than having... Chris Meppen, who's a centre-half, <laughs> playing at left-back. Um, I suppose in a strange way, the loss in the week for Bournemouth could have been the best thing that could have happened to them, to see how they would respond. Mm -hmm. If they lost this weekend, then they'd have been lingering on it for a couple of weeks, wouldn't they? But they had a chance to instantly respond here. And boy, did they respond. Got to say, this weekend has only made me even more convinced by the turn of the year we could very easily have a clear top two of Fulham and Bournemouth because yeah. West Brom are really looking like they're struggling to keep up up, up the pace with uh, those two. And considering Fulham won 7-0 in the week, Bournemouth could have won 7-0 or more mm -hmm. this weekend. Then they're really looking like the two sides to beat. Um, yeah, Swansea, not the best performance after we gave them a lot of praise in the week. They tried to play it out from the back. And as you were saying, they got caught out quite a few times um, while trying to do that. It was a bad performance. They got torn apart pretty badly yet I think it was just a bad day at the office and if I was a Swans fan I would still be looking up rather than looking down yeah you've come up against the best team in the league here um, tactically they've shown that they're very good um, they've got a very well balanced side it's no it's no shame in losing to Bournemouth okay 4-0 you think of it, it's, it's a heavy defeat um, it's going to hurt a little bit but you know I think the goals from from Swansea's perspective could have been avoided I know Bournemouth created an abundance of chances, but that, that first goal really lackluster press from, I think it was uh, Entechum. Uh, and, and they could have done better with the, the second and third goal as well with, with, with better marking. So, you know, you, you're a bit more aware, you're a bit more uh, uh, awake and you you avoid them you avoid them goals quite easily. I don't think it's the end of the world for Swansea. You keep going. It's, it's been a very good few weeks for, for them and Russell Martin. 100%. Steve Morrison got his first win as Cardiff caretaker boss by beating Huddersfield 2-1. Uh, they were a goal down in the 73rd minute before Keith Moore got two headers, including a 93rd minute winner. Got to be said, how Huddersfield didn't get something from this game is a bit of a mystery to me. They missed some glorious chances, including a point-blank header, uh, but was blocked by a marvellous save by Alex Smithies, which is... For me, Justin, without a doubt, save of the season. Not just in the championship, by the way. Aaron Ramsdale was getting a load of praise last weekend for his save. But this is save of the season in the whole of English football. Because it is a ridiculous stop. Well, I mean, you did used to play in goal back in the day. So I'm not surprised you're able to lend this expertise. So if you're saying it, I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> well, I, I was a quite a handy shot stopper back in the day. Um, the, the thing is for me, I always base how good a save is on whether it went in or not. So, for example, um, just mention that Ramsdale one. If that went in, then I'd have been very disappointed in oh, okay, Ramsdale yeah. for letting that in. Yeah. But this one, Alex Smithies has got no right to save it. Yet here he is pulling off that ridiculous mm -hmm. save from what is essentially point blank and he's just diving across, getting anything in the way and he's done it here. But um, nonetheless, Huddersfield did miss a load of chances, didn't they? And they probably should have got something from it. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd come away really disappointed from Huddersfield's perspective because at 1-1, there was an opportunity for them to show up shop or, or or go for the win. They didn't either and they were punished later on for it. Um, I think it's just really poor game management and when you're not putting those chances away, perhaps it is a time to shut up shop and, and, and restrict Cardiff. They didn't allow Cardiff to get, to get into the game. Cardiff created a lot of chances in this. I think Keith Moore had six shots and it's not... I, you go back to that winner that Keith Moore scored, you don't leave. You don't leave him unmarked in the box. He's six foot five, six foot six. How tall is he? He's, he's a 
He's very tall. Very, very he's tall. Big. He's very, very tall and um, he can score headers. Don't leave him unmarked in the box. That's that's my defending 101 this week. Yeah, there you go. Tactical genius just impeached there. Um, award-winning analysis here. <laughs> I, I think that this game is a good summary of why I can't see Huddersfield finishing the top six, mm-hmm. despite them being in or around there for pretty much whole season so far. Their forward line is really wasteful. And it's not just been this game, but I think there's going to be uh, that is going to be the thing that holds them back. That and their unbearable inconsistency, which has cost them plenty of times this season. Um, a win, a draw, and a loss for Steve Morrison after three games. What have you made of the Bluebirds with Morrison in charge? I think the Stoke result is a very difficult result to judge because I think they got that based on character alone because they shouldn't they shouldn't have come away with a, a point from that game. The, the the next game in mid midweek, I thought they were really poor. Back to the same old Cardiff. This win, I thought they, they, I thought they were a lot better. Um, I think Mark McGuinness, he's made a, he's, he's made a few errors over the last few weeks. He cost uh, uh, his error led to the goal for for Huddersfield. Um, but for me, going forwards, they created a lot of chances. Um, Cardiff, and I think that's the key difference. If you get a side creating more chances, Keith Moore's going to score one in two, one in three of those chances. So you're always going to be in a game. Um, much improved from them. Really impressed. Is Steve Morrison the man for Cardiff? I don't know. Really hard. It's very hard to judge based on these last three games, as I say, because the the, the three games as they were weren't the best to judge on. If that makes sense. I'm not convinced by Morrison so far. I don't think um, you, that Stoke game obviously felt like a win, didn't it? Coming back from three goals down, but you've got to remember the first half they were really, really poor. Mm-hmm. Hence being two 0 down at half time and three 0 down soon after that. Um, then in midweek they were really poor in that loss. And then in this game, they were also quite poor, I thought, despite them getting the wins. So I think what I'm basically saying is you've got two and a half games there where (laughs) Cardiff have been actually not great. So I'm not sure what Cardiff fans are actually thinking with Morrison at the moment. I mean, I'm saying this as a guy who's bet on Steve Morrison to get the job. (laughs) Um, So um, obviously I'd like him to get the job, but having said that, I'm not convinced um, he would be the right man to take Cardiff into the future. And I'm looking around thinking, who are they actually going to get? Because it looks like they are giving Steve Morrison a fair crack at the job after having three games so far. Whether that'll still be the case, considering we've got an international break coming up, I'm not too sure. But nonetheless, um, I'm very interested to see what Cardiff fans are thinking and what Cardiff board are actually thinking, whether they're both on the same page, whether it, they do want to go round, down the route of a young manager um, like Steve Morrison, or whether they do want to, you know, go for someone who's got a more, a better track record at Championship level. It's very interesting to see him, but I'm not completely convinced by from what I've seen of Steve Morrison so far after three games. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Blackburn thumping Sheffield United and Forest thumping Preston. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Blackburn came from a goal down to beat Sheffield United 3-1. A brilliant way to bounce back for Rovers, wasn't it, after that 7-0 thumping in the week? How do you bounce back from a 7-0 win? It's, it's, a, it's a great question, but I think Tony Mowbray's done it done it here. I think you come, a, you come up against a Sheffield United team, have got the players that they've got. We, we speak a lot about them, but not only that, but 
Moby completely changed the side. And all those players that he brought in all had an impact. Pervader, Davenport, Kadra all had an impact. Um, so you've got to say it's a very brave call from Mowbray to do that against a very good team. And it, and uh, they, they came away having played very well and, and shook, um, Black, sorry, shook Sheffield United out a little bit towards, uh, apart from towards the end of the game. But very pleased for, for Blackburn to be able to rid that 7-0 defeat. I would no idea how, how you get it out of your head so quickly, but fair play. They, they did that. Yeah, they absolutely, they absolutely did. And Tony Mowbray had a job on, didn't he? After <laughs> you know, because it, it's very easy for players to just lose their heads after getting a uh, smashing like that. But they were actually really, really good here, and he did change it around. Um, I, I thought Pereira was really threatening for Rovers, um, and he's just refreshed the whole front line really anti um Kadra as well was also pretty sharp so exciting for them that they've also shown that they've got loads of depth going forward um, I did have concerns at the start of the season didn't I about Blackburn and the amount of depth that they've actually got I think that was more defensively really and in like the defensive midfield kind of areas mm-hmm. but yeah looking really good here and um, Brighton has got on the score sheet again so Chile is on fire with that one um, Sheffield United will start with the positives Rian Brewster's first goal since joining the club in summer last year and what mm-hmm. a goal as well that was a beautiful yeah. volley to to connect with that and send it flying into net at that pace was a uh, very <laughs> delightful to watch um, just out of interest Justin because, uh, you know, we had that whole debate about the uh, um, Fraser Campbell goal for Huddersfield last year. And it's still something that lives rent free in my head to this day. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think Ryan Brewster's goal here was better than that volley? Um, no, I don't think it was. That Fraser Campbell goal, I don't think you give it enough credit. And... I, I don't understand why people think it's a good goal. I honestly don't. I thought this goal was much better. But anyway, we won't waste too much time on that. Um, negatives for Sheffield United. <laughs> There were plenty, quite frankly, compared to the positives. Uh, they were wasteful again because they had at least two big moments in front of mm. goal that they didn't make the most of. And then at the other end of the pitch, their defending was an absolute shambles at times, Justin. Yeah, they're, they're a side. You're just constantly blowing out your cheeks, aren't you, with them? It's like, what do you do? Honestly, it's, it's so frustrating. And that's coming from a, a neutral perspective. Yeah, we don't support Sheffield United. I imagine some supporters are pulling their teeth out and their hair out. I don't know why you'd pull your teeth out. It's not really the saying. You're putting your hair out of Chevy United supporter. Um, it's it's for self-harming that. <laughs> yeah, it's that frustrating. You'd pull your own teeth out. Um, uh, for the only positive to come out of the game for Bruce to get his first goal, it's, it's not good enough for a side who should be chasing. Um, I feel like the team needs a refresh. Um, I think it's, it's moved on from that Wilder era. There are a lot of players there who probably aren't performing as well as they should be. You look at the defence, you mentioned the defence, Chris Basham was poor, uh, Ender Stevens was poor, um, Boga wasn't that much better. They don't suit a four at the back. I don't know why they. I don't know why Yukanovic will persist with playing a four at the back, but he's trying to get his stamp on it. I don't think it's working. Um, I just think the team needs a refresh. It's going to take a while for that to happen. Yeah, well, he's quite stubborn with this 4-2-3-1 into which he just insists on playing no Mm. matter what the personnel are saying because you've got now Brewster playing on the wing who, as we all know, is a striker. Got the goal here and he actually looked all right in the week as well, but it's, you know, that's beside the point that you're playing players out of position to try and suit what the manager wants to do and whether that's the best way to go about it, I'm not too sure. It's obviously clearly not going very well at the moment. And with Sheffield United, there's a lot of hope hanging on the fact that Jukanovic always has a better second half of the season. 
if they don't, then this season will be an absolute disaster because they have been pretty bang average so far in the first half, haven't they? Um, but people are just saying, oh, he's, he's got a great record in the second half of the season. How long do we wait, though, for yeah. that second half of the season to come around? So it's a bit of a funny one, really. Uh, nonetheless, move, let's move on to Forest 3, Preston nil. This was the most convincing performance I've seen from Forest in a while, Justin. They were good here and clearly the better side. Yeah, it was, it was a big win from from them and a, a fairly important win. You're coming up against Preston side who were tactically brilliant against Bournemouth. Um, so you might have expected more of the same here, but Forrest made them look very average. Um, and as you say, it's quite a straightforward win for, for Steve Cooper and his side. Uh, and to just allude to their home form, the home form's not been great. For, uh, so for, for the players to show up and, and put in a big performance like this is a, is a real you know, the city ground is a very good place to go when when things are going very well. It's not a very nice place to go when things aren't going well. So, to turn that around and, and get the uh, get the fans on board um, with that sort of performance and win, yeah, will certainly go away long way to convincing them and us that they are going to be a playoff contending side. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. It's very funny the comparison from the away away records to the home record because even under Hutton this season, their away record wasn't terrible it's just at home where they really struggled so far so getting a good solid win under their belt here was a big boost for them uh, strangely Forrest went to a back four which is something we hardly ever see with Steve Cooper is it so mm. they did it and they were great the most impressive thing was how solid they were at the back and it's a back four I really like as well because you've got Lowe, McKenna, Worrell and uh, Spence mm. and all four four players I really rate so it was uh, very enjoyable for me to see that back four. <laughs> um, Steve Cooper only lost one game so far, and that was against Fulham. So they're evidently now a hard team to beat, aren't they? It's just, can they keep getting wins on the board? Because there have been quite a few draws in that spell. Um, Preston really weren't at the races here, were they? And considering this was the side who were the first to beat Bournemouth in the week, it was a really disappointing follow-up performance. It's just the championship in a nutshell, isn't it, really? But there were two moments here that... that really turned the tide for Preston. I think um, Brad Potts missing that one-on-one um, fairly early on in the game. That didn't help. And then obviously Patrick Bauer going off, um, getting injured, isn't going to help either because he's their best defender. Uh, and Jordan Story didn't really compete with Lewis Graben very well, um, to be blunt. So yeah, th- those were the two moments that really changed the tide for Preston. And I think the disappointing thing is they conceded three goals rather than managing the game better than they did. But it's the championship. They'll win again in the next game. Yeah, they're a bit of an inconsistent side, aren't they? I think that's why many Preston fans are quite infuriated with how Frankie McAvoy runs the team because it's kind of a pattern now where Frankie McAvoy is under pressure after they've just lost. They win a game, eases a bit, then they lose again and we're just in this vicious cycle. Um, In the Nathan Jones derby, Stoke beat Luton 1-0. A good game this, two good sides matching up together. Yeah, and, and the key battle was won by, by Stokes' defence. I thought Stokes' defence was, was brilliant. They they dealt with the very versatile forward duo of Adebayo and Harry Cornick. I don't think there's a more versatile partnership than those two. So for those for that back three to manage them as best as they did, did a very good job. And um, it's, it's a massive, massive result for Stoke. Two away wins on the bounce, two clean sheets. Um, it, it, you, you move away from that really poor form and you start to come out the other side of it um, having... Been, been a different side. They're grinding out results now, which is not something they were doing before because obviously they were going ahead and conceding, which was a bad habit, but Stoke have done well. Well, they could have very nearly conceded 
quite late on in this game because Admiral Musquay missed a free header late on, which could have snatched a point for Luton. He really should have scored it, but he hit the bar instead. So that's disappointing for the Hatters. And um, I tell you what, Jacob Brown got the goal for Stoke and he's actually having a good season, isn't he? Someone we mm. haven't really spoken about thus far. And I think many Stoke fans were questioning who would be leading the line early on in the season while Tyrese Campbell was out injured. They obviously brought in Sam Surridge, who cost them, what, five million quid? Mm -hmm. So you'd have expected him to be leading the line, but it's actually been Brown, who's done such a good job that he's made it difficult for Michael O'Neill to drop him. And even when he was at Barnsley, he was always good at working hard, stretching defences and laying up chances for his teammates. It was the scoring goals, which was a problem. But this season, he has added that to his game, hasn't he? He's now matched the number of goals he got last season already yes it could be better but considering what else he brings to the team is he a very handy player to have at your disposal and well taken goal here hopefully we see a few more well taken goals and Stoke are now back in the playoffs after two straight wins Luton dropped down to 11th Reading ended a run of four straight losses by beating Birmingham 2-1 18 year old Jamari Clark got both the goals for the Royals two well taken goals as well weren't they yeah, when I saw this come through, um, I gave myself a little fist bump. I was really pleased for Reading and, and Jamara Clark, mainly because of how much Reading have struggled in front of goal. Um, and there's, you know, I'm not being biased towards Reading, but yeah, they, they've really, really struggled. And it's taken a striker who's clinical to to turn their game for Reading. And that's what's, that's what's happened in this game. Jamari Clark's taken his chances, whereas George Puskas in the past hasn't. Um, and that's been the difference between the two sides. And it's... Really, really pleasing to see a youngster do it as well, which is why it was a little fist pump. Um, so, yeah, really, really good uh, good win for Reading. Really good, well-taken goals, as you say, from Jamari Clark. Persistent with the second, really good header for the first. Um, Birmingham City will be really frustrated with the result. Yeah, well, the Reading striker problem has become a bit of a constant narrative for us now, hasn't it? And mm. I don't want to give off the impression that we're an anti-George Puskas podcast because we seem to speak about him yeah. every single episode. But the problem is just so obvious that it's a bit painful. And I don't know why they haven't really gone for Clark more often, really, because, yes, he's looked for all. He is still very young. And if Reading had two fit Lucas Shouts, he probably wouldn't get a look in in the first team. But in Reading's circumstances, I'd much rather give a young lad a run in the team than a striker who's not contributing anything and is, in my book, a bit of a lost cause at this mm -hmm. point. But when I've seen Clark in these short cameos that he's had so far, he has looked like he could be capable of playing at this level. It's just we haven't seen him have really have a goal or a shy of goal, I think. Um, and he's had two here and he's taken it. So, yeah, fair play to him. I'm going to expect him to be you know, starting for running once we get back from this international break. And he's deserved it because he's looked all right um, for such a young lad. He's got plenty of promise and he's got the stature as well, which look, makes Reading him look point. like he'll be a, a top player at this level. Um, on Saturday night, it finished QPR 1, Blackpool 1. Chris Willock scored a lovely goal in this, Justin. It was a it was a tidy one, wasn't it? And it's the quality that he possesses is, is fantastic. And I think that's the frustrating thing for QPR where they got, um, Chris Willick and Elias Chair into some really good positions, but some of the players have had off days, like Lyndon Dykes wasn't really at the races. Um, but as you say, quality goal from a quality player. Um, and it's just a shame that the, the rest of the team didn't weren't quite at the races for for this for this one against Blackpool. Mm. I really rate Chris Willick. I, I think he's, he's a, player. a I think he's a brilliant player. Um, I, I actually think he's probably a Premier League player at this point now because he has come on no. leaps and bounds since what January. Since Ahead January, of he's, he's, 
I think so, because I think Elias Chow is just, he, he's still inconsistent. I thought he turned a corner, but he's, I haven't seen anything since when I said he's turned the corner to show <laughs> that he hasn't turned the corner. So, but I think Chris Willock is, when we talk about QPR, there are so many players who are inconsistent going forwards, aren't they? You're talking about Lyndon Dykes just then, who um, is someone who scores every so often, but then other games he he looks a bit lost. And then you've got Elias Chair, who some games he looks like an absolute world beater and then other games he doesn't. But Chris Willock is just consistently brilliant and probably doesn't get enough praise from people at QPR and probably outside of QPR as well. Because he is just a lovely player to watch and he's really, really talented. I, I'm a big, big fan of him. Um, someone I've really enjoyed watching this season as well. So um, this goal, brilliantly taken. Hopefully he gets a few more goals in his game because that's probably one area that he could improve on with the whole goal, goal contribution side of things. But he's a really good player. Um, I thought Blackpool possibly a bit unlucky here. Would you agree? Yeah, they, I thought they were. They were unlucky with some of the decisions. Uh, they should have had a, a penalty. Um, and the, the the QPR goal for me was offside. Not quite sure what um, what the Lino was was thinking. Um, and uh, and also they were missing several key players, which is a massive um, frustration for Blackpool because I think you put those players back into the side, they'll, they'll come away with a result from these sorts of games. And finally, in the Gary Rarrett derby, it was Millwall 1, Derby 1. Considering Derby are draw machines at the moment and they're facing the draw gods in Millwall, I suppose it's not really a shock that this finished the way it did. It's worth pointing out that Derby were down to 10 men for nearly a third of the game, so I suppose it's a good result for the Rams in that respect after not many good results in recent times. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll start off with this. A seven-year-old Hull fan was injured after being struck in the face by a flare that was thrown into the crowd during the match at Barnsley. South Yorkshire police say it was thrown by another Hull supporter. It's said to have happened shortly before half-time and the child suffered minor injuries. Officers are reviewing CCTV footage and have urged anyone who knows who was responsible to contact them. Moving on, Justin and even more depressing news, Millwall are working with the police to identify a supporter after a Derby player suffered alleged discriminatory abuse. Derby said the incident was reported after the game. Millwall say the matter is under immediate investigation and the club will cooperate fully in the matter. Even more depressing news, Justin, Lancashire Police has closed its investigation into a racist banner targeting former Birmingham City owner and CEO Don Wren after no formal complaint was made. The banner was shown before the final game of last season. Birmingham said in a statement they had notified police because one of the banners was undoubtedly racist. However, Sky Sports say no formal complaint was actually made. Let's move on, Justin, to something Less depressing. According to Sky Sports, former Rangers shareholders Sandy and James Easdale are heading a consortium to buy Derby. The brothers are in advanced talks with administrators to buy the Rams on behalf of a Malaysian consortium. I'll tell you what, Justin, considering when the whole administration thing happened, we were being told about how buying Derby was quite an unattractive proposition. But there seems to be plenty of interest. Yeah, it's... um... I mean, I've read up about these these this group, and I'm not overly convinced. I don't want to get bleeped out again this week, so I'll withhold any information <laughs> that I have found. Um, but my feelings are known. Um, but you're quite right. Derby are a big football club. It's like any football club. Like if Sheffield Wednesday, if the same thing happened to them, 
they'll they'll be interested parties in Sheffield Wednesday because it's a big club. Wigan um, had the same thing. They're a, they're a big football club. Maybe people might get me a stick for that, but they, they are Coventry, big football club. These are all big football clubs in the championship. Every single club in the championship is a big football club, and it's because he's so close to the Premier League as well. The riches are very very. They're just like sort of out of reach um, for a lot of uh, owners and potential owners. So that's a very attractive proposition as well. So I'm not surprised in the slightest. It's just whether or not it's the right owner. That's the key. That's the key thing. Yeah, I suppose with a club like Derby, because I think the clubs you just mentioned are big clubs in their own respect, but Derby are a massive club mm. at, at this level, aren't they? Um, probably one in the top three or five in uh, outside of the Premier League, aren't they? So with that being said, once you get past this big hurdle that is administration, likely relegation to League One, and you get them back to an even footing, then you've got a club who is ready-made for the Premier League, haven't you, mm-hmm. in terms of fan base, the facilities, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I suppose when you put it like that, they are an attractive proposition. It's just the debt and That's everything I mentioned thing. before. Yeah. That Debt's is quite good, bad. Is it? £50 million pounds of debt is not <laughs> ideal. Um, but once you get rid of that, then, yeah, absolutely. You, you could have, a, from an owner's perspective, a bit of a moneymaker at your, at your disposal. Um, and finally, Justin, because you really want to talk about it, I, I thought we'd have a little chat about um, something that has been in the news today. And also, obviously, it's very heavy, uh, the news that we've just spoken about regarding the championship. Um, so I thought we'd have a quick mention about Norwich and uh, Daniel Farker, because Norwich have only just left us. Looks like they'll be heading back to us very soon as well. But Norwich have sacked Daniel Farker. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I was actually really sad about it, but it was an inevitable sacking, wasn't it? Because of his Premier League record not being great. Um, I think the reason why it's really topical from Championship perspective because Norwich were falling into a, um, a an abyss of uh, an abyss of nothingness. The likes of Nottingham Forest, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday have all been there. Some, you know, some of those clubs are still in that. Um, he got them out of it, and they didn't spend a massive amount of money. And it just goes to show that if you get the right coach with the right backroom team uh, and the right players, then it can work out for you. And Norwich are now a very wealthy football club who are going to yo-yo because it's very hard to find that balance. But yeah, for me, he goes down quite easily as one of the best championship managers ever. I will turn my notification off for that because I I believe that to be true. Well, I believe it to be true as well, but I tweeted it last night that, you know, Warnock and Farker both leaving on the same day, two championship legends, both departing. <laughs> but Farker's had three seasons in the championship. Am I right in saying that? Was it two yeah. and a half seasons? No, three and seasons. He's got, promote, he's got promoted in two seasons, hasn't he? So, yeah. And in both times, I think they had two of the highest points totals that we've ever seen. So I don't understand why people wouldn't think he's a legend. Sure, he hasn't had the longevity of Neil Warnock, but you won't find many championship managers who have had a better record than Daniel Farker at championship level. And I think now it's worth pointing out as well while we're talking about in that it could be a very attractive appointment for plenty of championship clubs who don't have a manager considering what he's managed to do at Norwich in the time that he's been there. Um, I will say just quickly on Norwich, I considering they're in a bit of a state at the moment, as soon as they sold Emmy Brandia, I instantly thought, Norwich straight back down again. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they were better suited to get promoted uh, to staying in the championship, staying in the Premier League next season. I got there eventually, um, but as soon as they lost Brandy, I just thought, well, what is the point? Because they're just going to they're just going to bring in a load of new players um, 
who we haven't heard of and they'll yeah. take time to settle and that's exactly what happened and they're going down without a shout from the looks of it i know they got the win on saturday but i still struggle to see them staying up and it's just going to keep happening unfortunately they'll probably get relegated and next season they'll be in the promotion hunt again it's just weird um <laughs> let's finish off with some polls justin we'll finish off this segment before we go to simon grayson's hateful eight finish off this segment by talking about some of the questions that we've asked our listeners on twitter the first question that we asked them was this will middlesbrough get promoted under chris wilder i will point out i meant not necessarily this season hmm. but some people may have interpreted it as this season that was a mistake on my behalf um what would you say I don't think this season's out of the question. Um, I think they've, they're in with a shout. It would take quite a lot, um, but I don't, think, I don't think you can rule them out of doing it this season. But I think eventually he will get them up, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he will because he's a brilliant manager, honestly. I, I think people really underestimate how good a manager he is. Um, no got 73%. Yes got 27%. As I say, I think that may have had people who thought I was talking about this season, but I actually meant in the future with him in charge. Um which this is a funny one, Justin. Which of these managers would you want to bring in at a championship club if you needed a new boss? Daniel Farker, Dean Smith, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, or Neil Warnock? The thing is, if I was Man United owner, I'd have three of those managers over Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, <laughs> and that's no championship bias. I just don't rate him as a coach. Um, but uh, my allegiance is with Neil Warnock always. I bleed Neil Warnock. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer got 5%. <laughs> <laughs> he's a meme now, isn't he? He's, yeah. It's, yeah, he's a, it's a funny old situation at Manchester United. Um, Daniel, uh, Dean Smith, I was going to say Daniel Smith then. Dean Smith got 45%. Daniel Farker got 34%. Neil Warnock got 16%. So plenty of love for Farker and Smith. Not as much for Warnock and definitely not for Solskjaer. Um yeah, very close one. They're very interesting to hear what people were saying as well. And finally, where should I go on holiday next? Denmark, Finland, Norway or Sweden? I've really wanted to go Scandinavia for quite a while, Justin, and I can't figure out which one I want to go to the most. I'm edging towards Denmark at the moment. Um, what do you think? It depends what time of year you go. If you go in the it's dead of cold. winter, it's going to be cold. In it's... the winter, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So... Um, I mean, I've I've spoken about going to Copenhagen in the past. I, I, you know, I'd recommend fully going to Copenhagen. I don't know what you, you can do there. There's a big statue of a mermaid somewhere. That'd be nice. Is that it? Is that all the, the only reason you want to go to Copenhagen? It's the only thing I've researched so far. So you've got the Carlsberg factory that's there. That'd be nice. Yeah. Beer. Um, mm. I've been watching a lot of a travel man with Richard Ayoade recently mm. and looking around different places. There's plenty on Denmark. Denmark look very nice. Um, Stockholm, you've got one of those ice bars. People aren't interested in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the result of the poll was 30% for Norway, 30% for Sweden, 27% Denmark. Finland only got 13%. Poor Finland. I'd, I'd go to Finland. They've got like a massive bunker underneath Helsinki that is like a massive mall, but it's in case like the Russians invade or something. It's really interesting. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I'd go I'd go to Helsinki. I'd yeah. go to all of them. But uh, uh, Copenhagen's probably first on my list. Um, as I say, no one cares about this. So sorry if we spent way too much time talking about this. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Edge. 
So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Carlo van der Watering from the Barnsley Podcast Red Report and Patch Warner from the Bristol City Podcast. Three peeps in a podcast. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So for example, if I would say name Neil Warnock's last eight clubs and Carlo would say QPR, that's one down. And Patch would say Sheffield United, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Now, Neil Warnock has managed the most games ever in English football, so I thought I'd have a look at which managers have managed the most championship games. So since it was rebranded to the championship in 2004, can you name the eight managers who have managed the most games in the second tier? There's an obvious tap-in right here, considering I've just mentioned him. Um, Who wants the tap-in? We'll go to you first, Patch. Can you name a manager who has managed the most games in the championship? I'm going to say Neil Warnock. Absolutely. He has managed 509, which is the most in championship history. Uh, Carlo, you can go next. No, I've got this in it. I haven't my dinner. It's just not working. Um, No, I'll tell you what, I'll be out straight away. I'll go for Alex Neal. Tell you what, I don't think Alex Neal is actually that far off, you know, but he's not in the top eight. He's a a way off from some of these big boys who have uh, managed quite a few games at championship level, but Alex Neal is incorrect. So Carlo's out at the first hurdle. You've got seven to go, chaps. There's two of you still in. Justin, it's your first go. Uh, This is actually fairly difficult. Um, I'll go with, uh, as a first guess, Billy Davis. Billy Davis has managed the sixth most games in championship history. So he's got 308 games at three different clubs. So you're absolutely right there. Patch, you're back in it. Uh, Mick McCarthy. Yep, 100%. He has got the second most games under his belt at championship level. 482 at four different clubs. Justin, your go again. Oh, no, I, did. I honestly have no idea. Um Championship expert, my arse. Yeah, yeah, managers. We never, we never ever focus on the managers. Um, really? <laughs> what have we been doing for the past two and a half years? We only ever talk about Neil Warnock and Mick McCarthy, and they're both gone. Um, <laughs> Nigel Clough. Nigel Clough's actually correct. Three hundred and five games at two clubs. He's the seventh uh, most managed manager in the. On how many? Three hundred and five. So. That's almost the barrier. Uh, Patch, I'll give you a clue. One of these has managed at Bristol City. Mm. Blimey. Um... You've got four to go, by the way. This is hard. Steve Cottrell wasn't enough in the championship. Blimey. I'm really stumped. Uh, Chris Hewton. Chris Hewton's actually not managed that many games at championship level. He's 35 games short of this list. So, unfortunately, you're out. So, Justin, it's all down to you. You've got four to go. Can you pull this over the line? I don't think you will, because some of these are quite hard, to be fair. But go on. Ian Holloway. Ian Holloway has managed the third most games, 452 at six different clubs. So, you've got three left, Justin. Can you name another one for me? Steve Cottrell. Steve Cottrell has managed the eighth most games in the championship, 294. And that's the person I was referring to, Patch. Yeah, six different clubs he's been at. Um, So, Justin, you've got two left. One of them is managing in the championship right now. Is he? Is he? Tony Mowbray. 
Yes, 390 games, the fourth most in the championship. Tony Mowbray, the current Blackburn manager. You've got one left, and I will be honest, I'm not surprised you've left this one. Brian, can you check Justin's Google activity after this, please? <laughs> <laughs> I, I only have my notes up, so I'll, I'll look at a team and I, my, my mind will go back to who's managed them. And then that, that's Justin, do you want a clue? Do you want oh, a clue I don't on this last one? I like clues, yeah. Of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> this final manager hasn't actually managed a championship game since 2013. Wow. Um, so it's been binned off. It's a bit surprised he was in there, to be honest. Oh, Dougie Friedman. <laughs> That's terrible. It's not Dougie Friedman. No, it's a valid guess. I don't think, I don't know how many he's actually managed, but it's a, it's a worthy guess. The person I was looking for was Dave Jones. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. Cardiff, yeah, three hundred and fifty-eight games. Yeah, Cardiff, hundred percent. He was also at Wednesday, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you'll be surprised, no patch. Nigel Pearson's only five games short of being on oh, this way. list. So if he yeah. hangs around for a bit longer, he'll be on this list. Uh, Nigel Adkins was someone who wasn't far off as well. Gary Rowett's not far off actually either. Uh, but unfortunately, chaps, you've fallen to Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Justin, you gave it a valid effort at mm. the end, but unfortunately, you were just one off. Um, so. Two two sets of fans here who are very disappointed with how their teams are doing at the moment. Um, <laughs> Justin's actually not much better being a Derby fan, so the disappointment continues, unfortunately. But a valid go, chaps. And this brings us to an end of the Second Tier podcast this week. Thank you for listening, wherever you are. Uh, we've got an international break next week, so we'll do a Q&A on Sunday. So send over any questions that you want us to uh, have a little chat about, and we will be there for you next Sunday. Carlo Van Watering from the Barnsley Podcast Rest Reports. Thank you for your time today. Pleasure as always. Thanks, lads. Patch Warner from the Bristol City Podcast. Three peeps in the podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks, chaps. It's uh, great to be on an international break. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're not going to be the only fan in that boat, uh, but we'll look forward to seeing you all again on Sunday to go for our Q&A. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.